Hello, magical beings. Welcome back or welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I am your host. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy, and I help spiritual adventurers remember who they are and why they're here so they can up-level with ease. And my friends, I read something this morning that stuck with me all day, and I thought I'd share it with you right now. I was flipping through I in the morning. I Before I meditate, I open a book randomly and see what brilliance I can get from it. So this morning I opened Mark Nepo's The Existential Risk. Yes, that is the name of the book. And here's the story I read. He talks about a man who was preparing to paint his living room. And so he went out and he bought the paint and he bought a drop cloth and he bought the little wooden stirs and he went outside and he prepped the paint and then he gathered everything up. So he's holding a gallon of paint in one hand and another gallon of paint in another hand, the stirs between his teeth, the drop cloth like tucked under his elbow. And he gets to the front door and he's determined, you know, to open the front door while he's still carrying all these things. You know, whether it's paint or groceries, we know we all do this. Like, oh, I can make it in one trip. And of course he goes to open the door and he falls over. And then he's covered in paint. And what he leaves us with is so many times we need to put things down to open. We need to put things down to enter the new space. We need to set them down, open the door, pick up only what we need, and then walk forward. This, obviously, what you need to put down can be in so many different things. Do you need to put down your pain? Do you need to put down a belief? Do you need to put down your your desire for efficiency, your need to be right, or your desire to win, or your attachment to anything? Anything is possible in that space. But my friends, I am curious, what do you need to put down before you could enter wherever it is you're entering, which you probably don't even know what that is yet? because you haven't put that thing down yet. All right. That question is for you to ponder and share with me on Instagram. Hit me up at Kelsey Abbott CPC. If you have some big epiphany, please. I really want to hear that. Now, this week's conversation is with Tina Olson. Tina is a beacon of unconditional love. She is a healer. She is a coach. She is brilliant, heart, first heart, driven heart. She is heart. She is love. She is a human who I am so incredibly grateful for. I am so excited to share her brilliance with all of you. And I can't wait to hear what comes out of this. So listen up, take lots of notes, share your takeaways and go forth and be awesome. You were saying something really brilliant about ego, and I want everyone to hear it. (laughs) No pressure. No, No not at all. I was asking you, like, what what job to give it? Um, But you were saying that people say to reassign... Yeah, yeah, yeah. People will say like, well, you know, reassign your ego another job. Give it something else to do. And like that on an existential level makes no sense to me. And I, I think one of the things that I struggle. Okay. So <clears throat> backing up the train, I was born with some sort of professorial orientation in this lifetime. So, um, I talk too much. (laughs) Um, But seriously, though, like, there's a philosopher professor thing in me. And one of the ways that that comes out is I'm really particular about language. Um, And I I get that knowing grin from you because Because I I am too. I do. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it all the time, of course. But um, So part of it, I have to give a shout out to my dad, who is on the other side and is with us today, obviously. Um, I called him the lexicon 
because he was just a walking human dictionary and not in an obnoxious way. Um, he loved doing crossword puzzles. He loved reading. And he was also just a genius. And what was so cool is he, um, his undergrad and masters were in math. And so to have that like combination is really pretty fantastic. But, um, since he went through Catholic school, they made him learn Latin. And so because he learned Latin, he was really, you know, uh, close with words and language and understanding all of it. And I feel like there's just something about when you're raised in a household, both of my parents originally were teachers, um, that like the natural conversations that transpire over the dinner table are just different. Um, and I didn't, I, I'm still learning that, right? Like I, I still don't really realize all the ways in which um, our upbringings, of course they influence us, but like how wildly different peoples are, right? So going back to ego, um, I feel like it's such a common word right now. There's um, a book, I forget the exact title, but it's basically like how to freaking kill your ego or leave your ego behind or something like that. It's a, in a very kind of like brutal way. Um, and it, it creates this whole paradigm where we're against ourselves. Yeah. I, so wait, I want to back up a second because transforming, I, I'm totally on board with transforming the inner critic. Yeah. I don't think ego and inner critic are the same at all. Right. Right. Like ego is our humanness. Yeah. Like the whole package. Yeah. And if you get rid of your ego, like the ego wants. <laughs> it, it reminds me, I was just seeing Eckhart Tolle the other day on just like a little video clip. And God love that man. Uh, a new earth was the first book that I read that it was like my pre awakening book, you know, that made me go, Oh, holy shit. Like shit's going to change. Um, but he, you know, he talks about like complete and pure presence and that's who he is and how he is. And what he was talking about this video was like, you know, that any, getting too excited, getting too upset, getting to this, to that is all ego. And I'm like, yeah. And I love it. Like that's how we connect to other humans. Right. And that's what my soul came here to experience was this like really messy version of. Like, yeah. Again, like God bless Eckhart Tolle, <laughs> but the man makes me sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> I need small doses. <laughs> Right. It's actually funny because the context in which I was watching this video is I have credit at the Omega Institute in New York because of a um, retreat I didn't get to go to this summer. And God love that they are totally aligned with their purpose and mission. And so when they found out that I was sick and couldn't travel, they were like, yes, you know, no problem. Come back. And um, so I was looking at who's already been put on the schedule for next summer. And he was one of them. And it's a five day, it's a five dayer. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> that would be some new kind of fascinating. But like, I mean, talk about what the ego would be doing as you sit and like engage with, with something that's so compared to, okay, so what you and I talked about recently, um, and part of what I feel like first, like, okay, it's time for podcast now is we were on the big time struggle bus together. We were together apart, but sitting right next to each other. Right, right. With all and the chickens. Chickens and goats <laughs> and hay and shit. Yes, and people hanging out the windows and the bus was definitely going way too fast down that mountain with no guardrails. Right, right. There were all the things. Um, and this was both for both of us, it was both like an emotional experience of being on the struggle bus, but also actually very literally both of us were physically sick. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like the transformation that comes from that um, and like one of the big epiphanies that came for me shortly thereafter was when I was, I missed a bunch of stuff I really wanted to do when I was sick. And, um, but one of the things that I got to still go to was a workshop with Rob Bell in LA, 
and it was a workshop for communicators. He calls it something to say. It was a two-day workshop, nine to five each day. He has it in a comedy club. There's only about 50 people. And if you sent in a question in advance or volunteer in the room, he would come up and essentially coach you um, one-to-one. And, it, you know, it's a mixture of, of kind of spiritual question asking and his opinion and, and the audience's opinion. And I was getting intuitive hits for other people, so I would just yell them out because that was acceptable in that atmosphere. Um, and so when I went up to sit across from him... <laughs> I, my ego was completely in fangirl mode. And I told him, this may have been a slight exaggeration as to how much of it was integrated. I told him 90% was integrated and 10% was still floating. I mean, it was definitely better than it used to be, but with regard to him, but it still was chaotic. And I am fully aware of this, right? And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, if I had to be him sitting across from me right now, I'd probably want to run. Um, fortunately he just thought it was really funny and the epiphany I had from letting that energy just be all of me for a day was the reclamation of my Labrador retriever energy, which I feel like is my true self. It's joy, it's exuberance, it's unconditional love. It's the energy of my lab who would greet me so exuberantly at the door. But if my mom and dad were also there, he'd be so confused as to who to spend time with that he would run between everybody and nobody at the same time in circles. Um, you know, I never tried to tame his jumping because I was like, that's just part of who he is and how he says, Oh my God, I love you. And luckily we didn't, you know, we didn't have anyone, uh, not like small children or anything that were going to be harmed by it. Um, and so it's just fascinating to me because there's this dance as we're on the spiritual path between um, wanting to allow ourselves to heal and expand and let go of some of the stuff that's weighed us down that we probably came into this life with from past lives that we've inherited from ancestral stuff that has happened in this life with like also on an ego level wanting to fully embody exactly who we are. And that takes ego. That takes the confidence of this is just me living in the world, being an exuberant lab, sitting across from Rob Bell, later jokingly say to him, like, I'm 40 and you're like a spiritual teacher? Like, this is not teenager with NSYNC in the 90s. You know what I mean? <laughs> what are your thoughts on all that? I just think... I love that you realize that your natural state is joy. That makes me so happy. And also the image of you as a lab is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> like a wiggly butt and everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And eating all the food. Mm -hmm. Totally food. Yes. The, the no stop button. Mm -hmm. Just, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I was eating figs the other day and it reminded me, um, where Oski grew up, my, my lab, my former, well, he's now on, on the other side, but um, we had this community fig tree that had just been growing in the, in the complex for however many years, right? It was huge. It was abundant. People did not take nearly enough advantage of taking the fruit off of it. So there'd be a, a plethora of fruit on the ground and he would eat like 20 or 30 figs at a time and then proceed to puke because of course, like you can't. <laughs> You just can't. And I'm um, like, yeah, that zest for life. Minus yeah. the few. Yeah, there's no, there's just joy. This mm. is good. More mm. of this. Mm -hmm. This is fun. And to a degree, I don't want to say confident, the consequences be damned per se, because I've always been an extremely responsible human being, but I've also lived like way too far on that polarity. And um, I think being an intu intuitive and yet for many, many years in my life, first 33, not knowing consciously um, about that superpower, I would always, I'd be using it to feel into I'd be using it to feel into um, 
what happens if I take this path? What happens if I take that path? What happens if I say this thing to this person? And um, it's a really exhausting way to use intuition. Yeah. How do you use intuition now? Oh my God. It's, it's so fun. It's like completely integrated into everything from, I still love to give the nod to when I'm out on a run and I'm navigating the neighborhood and there's multiple ways to, to come home. Um, even when transitioning from being on the street to being on the sidewalk or what, you know, little, very little things with no consequence, because that's kind of my way of saying like, I'm listening all the time because I feel like if I listen all the time, then I will get the big messages. And I feel like some of the things that caused me the most suffering in this lifetime had been the things that I intuitively knew <clears throat> many years before I actually made the decision that was aligned with intuitive mm -hmm. knowing. And so now it's just, just full dedication to um, listening to things infinitesimally small and huge. Uh, because we don't, we don't get to pull from our intuition on the really big shit that also causes us fear and also is part of like major soul contracts and all that kind of stuff if we're not practicing. I mean, it's like you and your triathlons, like you don't get to go compete at the level that you compete at without doing even the smallest aspect of every single workout. Yeah. I love to the, like, are you, do you consciously, I don't know if that's the right word. Are you aware have, that you're constantly tapped into your intuition? Is it feel like, okay, now I'm going to see what my intuition has to say about that? Or is it just so much a part of you? Yeah. Um, both. And a lot of times it's very conscious and it's like an action. It's like something I'm actively engaged in the conversation with. Um, and there'll be those moments where I have a friend who's, uh, also quite intuitive. And he and I, you know, bounce things off each other all the time. And, and obviously, uh, back to those big things with those things that are kind of closest to the cores, the core of who we are and what we're here to do and all that stuff that also brings up all this other mixed energy. It's really nice to have others to, to, you know, I'm feeling this, I'm not entirely sure. And it also like when it comes to past lives and things like that, it can feel, um, it can feel really nice to have like confirmation because a lot of times, of course, you're still saying like, am I making all this shit up? Um, but also like, so I remember saying to him probably in the last couple of days, like I often laugh when I remember how rarely I actually have a unique thought that's mine. <laughs> like all the good shit, the analogies, the jokes most of the time, definitely the wisdom and the knowing, all that's coming from spirit. Like, <laughs> really but it was given to you. Yeah, but it's like, yes, and it's an important vessel, right? Because spirit needs us to, um, to be the physical manifestation of spirit. Um, but also it's like that really nice going full circle back to the aspect of the ego that um, it's healthy to remain humbled. Like, to, to feel into like, this isn't because it takes the pressure off. It's kind of like that idea of, um, that Liz Gilbert talks about in her Ted talk about the muse, right. And, and creatives, writers, artists, that idea of having a muse is, is ancient. Um, but really what it is, is it's not just, I mean, at first blush, it's like, okay. Um, I can't own that any of this is quote unquote mine, like from a possessive kind of perspective. But at the same time, it's also like, oh, what a relief. I don't have to like sit here and come up with ideas. Like when my business partner and I work, um, you know, there's some things that we know, like, okay, we're just not tuning into something right now. Let's make a conscious effort to tune in. Let's pull out a pendulum. Let's, you know, do what we need to do. to And then other times we're like, okay, cool. Well, then we must have come to the end of that for right now. Let's hand it off to spirit and let them show us what's next. I want to back up to Liz Gilbert. Yes. Cause she says, right. Like that the ideas are, they're out there and it's for us to catch them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like they flit around us and we're just like, it, like we're not catching it for some reason or we're like, not, not now. 
Yeah. And so somebody else catches it. Right. And that's to take this to a very human feeling. I've had ideas floating around me, floating around me. And I'm like, eh, like, just like, I don't know how to catch you or I don't know what to do with you. And then I'll see somebody else like post on social media and it's, it's that idea. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Yes. That's been driving me crazy. Apparently it wasn't really for me, but it was circling me. It was an option. Yes. And I didn't, I just like didn't want to take it or like it, it was just a suggestion for me. Or not right now. Yeah. Thank Um, you for finally putting that out there. Yeah. Did you, have you heard her tell the story about the book? Her newest uh, book? No, of um, a book she never wrote that was exactly no. this. Um, I think I, <laughs> I think I heard this story when she was in conversation with Rob Bell. So it's a part of the, he has a two-part podcast of their. Um, the New Year's. New Year's. Which is and, amazing. Yeah. So I was in the front row for that. And when I got on the airplane from the Bay Area to LA to as a part uh, in part to go see that, but also spend some time down south. My mom's like, give Rob Bell his personal space. <laughs> <laughs> the fangirl energy's well known. <laughs> um, I'd like to announce to the podcast world, all you lovely listeners right now, it's reintegrated because once <laughs> I discovered my lab, I'm, I'm, I don't need to freak out to Rob any brother. I call him brother Bell now. Um, so anyway, she said that, um, she was, she had an idea for a book. It was going to be, um, fiction and she had all the character names already. And for some reason she didn't end up writing it. I forget what the interruption that ended up transpiring was another opportunity came her way. Or I don't remember if it was maybe in the eat, pray, love years where like life disruption happens. And then she went on her journey, whatever it was. Anyway, she didn't write it. She ended up meeting the woman who wrote it and the characters were the exact same names. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That, and that's so perfect because that's how it works. Like spirit is just like, I'm going to give this to all of you, not all of you, but like, you know, the people that are ready, the people that can put this out into the human space. Mm-hmm. We'll see where it lands and yeah. we'll see like other people are also all going to, you know, say spirit gives us to like a hundred people, 50 of us are going to run with it and it's going to look completely different coming through each of us. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is what the earth needs right now. Mm-hmm. Or this is what this part of the country needs right now. Or this is what these particular people need to hear or whatever. And so, yeah, that, that infinite trust that the ideas just keep coming like seeds constantly or raindrops or whatever you want to call it. And that they're not unique to us. So we get to choose what lights us up. I mean, sometimes I wonder even if we get some of the ideas, like the ones that you talked about where you're like, yeah, no, not this. If like the whole purpose that you tuned into that for was simply for your own clarity of what brought you the most joy at that time. Spirit knew you weren't going to take the option, but they also knew you needed to see the option, right? Like, I don't know, but how cool is that? That it's this constant flow of inspiration and it's why it's so powerful to be um, wanting to bring this to organizations to businesses because we're like so many people are in the scarcity mindset they're just stuck there and then they're on the grind and then they're making everybody else buy into the grind too and it's such a miserable way of of life and instead when we're like inspiration is abundant and it's constant and all it is is a matter of retuning our vessels so that we actually get to be a part of the party yeah you know somebody not somebody I've heard a lot of people say like nothing you say is original like nothing any of us say is original everyone else is saying it and I feel like that's such a scarcity mindset way of saying it instead like spirit is working through all of us and everything is the same and different as it Mm -hmm. comes through us because Mm -hmm. we all are different flavors we all have different life experiences 
we're going to share it in different styles. Yeah, it's, it's true because I think that that statement, nothing's original is speaking to the part of us that, um, does grasp onto things too tightly and calls it too much of mine and feels special quote unquote because Mm -hmm. of it. Right. And, um, so I get the reason that that comment was originally made, but you're right. Like the higher, the higher vibration version of that is around like each and every one of us has the opportunity to be making what's coming through us into our own unique creation. And I think sometimes like with artists, it's so much maybe easier to see and understand that. Or like I think about people who make music and how grateful I am for the extremely wide variety, even within genres. And then obviously, you know, between genres. Um, And even though I still love music from the 60s and 70s and 80s, I'm really glad that Taylor Swift keeps making like poppy tunes today. I mean, it's like all of it, different moods for, or different music for different moods and all that kind of stuff. It's like, when you look at some of those tangible mediums of creation, um, then it becomes really obvious as to why it's so important that when you feel inspired to post on Instagram or on Facebook, you do, right? Or <clears throat> whatever my version of that is these days. <laughs> there are so many different ways to put it out into the world, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I was listening to this podcast today where they have these musical interludes that I find really annoying because <laughs> they're very long and like I'm totally engrossed in the content. And then there's music in the middle and I'm just like, skip, 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 skip. But I realize it's a, it's a popular podcast and I realize like there are probably some people that kind of glaze over with all the words and then it's this music that helps them integrate it. Right. How right. How cool is that? Like this thing that's kind of annoying, really annoying to me <laughs> is like, it is, just like it's it it's gold for someone else yeah yeah and and to your point of being able to like skip it we get so much more choice about how we interact with things than we often remember that we have um and you're welcome to be annoyed by it yeah and also like each one of us finding our own rhythm like that's so Um, It was really eye-opening. This seems random, but I swear it has a point. I went to this play in Chicago, kind of a local thing, because my friend's sister was in it. And so I was going to support her. And it actually ended up being really enlightening. It was about, um, there was a Haymarket riots, I guess. I couldn't tell you exactly what time period this was in. Um, but maybe around turn of the century, uh, the last one. (laughs) And, um, it was all about workers demanding essentially the eight hour day that we have now. And I walked away from that because I was already engaged in knowing that I think the big investment of my purpose direction for the time being was going to be in changing corporate culture. Um, I was like, wow. There was a point in time that this particular way of doing work or associated with 40 hours a week, blah, 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 was birthed. And it was birthed out of, hey, it used to be longer and we demanded to have more balance in our lives. And and that came from, you know, this particular way of looking at the world. And same thing goes with schooling. Like starting from age five or six, we're all conditioned that, the day is this long, X amount of hours to learn the things, to do the things, whatever. And then you have Y amount of hours of quote unquote freedom. And there's not a lot of modulation in that. And there's not a lot of differentiation. And one of the things that I found to be so fascinating on my own journey post corporate life um, is I get to figure out what my own personal rhythm is. And it needs a lot more modulation than I had any idea of. 
Um, and I was in prison yoga training to become an instructor for, for teaching yoga in prison. And what we were taught was you that... You were not in prison. No, no, I wasn't incarcerated, um, fortunately. And what we were taught was um, if you teach a yoga class in prison the way that norm, quote unquote normal, I'm, I'm just going to go with vinyasa class, let's say, or things that people are kind of used to right now in yoga studios, it tends to be a bit of a warm up and then a build, 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 build for a solid 40, 45 minutes or so. And then like a 10 minute cool down in the end. Um, and so there's kind of that arc, kind of maybe the same arc as like a story or something like that, where it's kind of up, 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 and then you go down. Uh, well, in prison, if you do that to folks, you're going to trigger their trauma response and their trauma response doesn't go to flight like mine does or freeze. Theirs often goes to fight because that's what they had to do to survive. And so if you do that to those folks, you're triggering their systems right into fight. You're going to re-traumatize them and you're going to actually potentially harm themselves or others. And so instead, what you had to learn is how to modulate the physical, so build up heat for a few minutes, then everyone's laying on their bellies. Build up heat for a handful more minutes, everyone's in child's pose. And do this throughout the entire class so that the nervous system got used to, oh, it's safe to let more energy start moving through my body. It's safe to kind of ramp up a bit because I now know that I can calm down. I ramping up isn't just a one-way street and what I've noticed within myself um, and I have a fever a feeling that maybe this is why the fever that put me on the struggle bus uh, hit in part um, was to show me I had as work started to get busier with what I'm doing now I was taking these old lessons that were so ingrained from first schooling and then corporate life of you just go, you just push, you just grind until the end, and then you kind of crash. And my body and my being were like, girl, you've been on a spiritual journey for the last six years. You've been being more than doing even. And now when you bring doing back, you sure as hell are not going to be doing doing the old way. Yes. And so it's just fascinating because I've literally started to notice as I look at my calendar my left brain looks at the calendar and if somebody says, are you free at this time? And there's a spot available, the answer would normally be yes. And so the first thing I've had to do was just like start literally putting rest. Like, and this might be the very middle of the day, but it's like this reminder to myself until I fully integrate being and doing as a part of everyday life. And it might sound crazy to people who are listening and haven't specifically gone through this yet, but I am telling you, we are all so conditioned to act as if our bodies all want the same thing on the same rhythm throughout the day. And if we're really going to do the work we were meant to do in the world and be fully authentic to how our physiology works and how our soul wants to come through us and all those things, we have to learn what our own personal rhythm is. Yeah. So I got things to say on that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you're a generator in human design and I'm a manifesting generator. We're told we have engines so we can go like that's the, the general point. Mm -hmm. Whereas projectors are told work two hours, rest two hours, mm. like max of three hours of work a day. Mm -hmm. Manifestors are taught, you'll get creative cycles. You need to rest in between cycles. There's nothing about rest for us. Mm. And yet humans need rest. Like right. all humans, it doesn't matter what your design is. And I think a lot of generators in particular are conditioned to just, oh, I, I have this engine. So I'm just going to go, 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 go. Right. Whereas, I don't know, personally as an MG, I think there's more balance of like work, play, work, play, work, play, like zigzagging all over the place. But I remember when we were in the camper, that's what made me realize I needed more space in my schedule. Because mm. when I first started coaching, people would be like, yeah, I do like 10 coaching calls a day. Hmm. Oh, uh, so in the camper, I think one day I had like three, three or four calls and I was like, never again, never, ever, ever, ever. Mm -hmm. So now if I like lay out my schedule, I can look at it and be like, 
I've already got two, two calls on that day. That day is full. Like I have to consciously be like done. It's closed. And as we're both four sixes, again, still in human design, which means we have this gift of being able to go super deep with people, mm-hmm. super deep, super like um, connected. And I'm looking for a different word and can't find it. And it's energetically exhausting. Right. And so to be able to, so for me, one coaching call or even podcast conversation mm-hmm. is like, okay, now mm-hmm. I need my space. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Giving ourselves that space and realizing that once we give ourselves that space, magic is going to come out of it. Absolutely. And I think the, the, the conditioned part of the brain that says doing is the only thing that creates anything. Um, it's like the biggest myth of all, right? Because so Julie and I had a meeting, um, it was, I don't know, it was an hour, half hour and 45 minutes or so where we proposed what cultural changes we would recommend for this organization, the path for the remainder of the year. We had 45 minutes to sneak and eat lunch. Now, granted, this was because of a little bit of a calendar fell up and I decided to not call it out because it would have meant that we couldn't do the the afternoon workshop. So we just kind of dealt with it. This is not the way that we would have normally planned things. But nevertheless, we then went right into a four hour workshop. And that was two days ago. And we were finally today able to like sit down and kind of debrief about all of the feelings, all of the things, all the thoughts, all of the intuition, all of it that arose in this intense session where you're telling an organization the truth and that's hard. Um, And you're interrupting people. I mean, in essence was uh, proposing mixed with coaching, right? So you're having to stop stories as they're underway because like, starting to spin out of control and, you know, bring refocus back. All these things are very vulnerable acts. And um, to your point of going deep with people, like it's what fuels us. It's what fills us up. But at the same time, it's draining because it's also extremely vulnerable. And there's a lot of energy that moves within us uh, when you're in that depth with someone and fully present and fully heart open with them. And so giving the brain, the body, the being a chance to reorganize itself around it is completely necessary. I feel like there's, there's a stigma around saying I'm tired or I'm not at my best right now. There's this expectation. So we just drove from Massachusetts to Florida in three days and when we got here, I felt like I was jet lagged all over again. Right. And just like that first day, I was like, I do what I want. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go ride my bike. I'm going to, I'm going to go swim. I'm just going to like kind of sit and stare at the ceiling and wonder where I am and what's up. And I could have been like, okay, I got like scheduled calls, done all the things. It would have been a mess. Yeah. I would have given myself like a solid D at best on if I were grading anything I had done any communication I had with other humans that day would not have been my best. No, total disaster. Mm -hmm. I think there's, there's something to recognizing, and this is like getting totally into the human side of things, but recognizing that we can be our sparkliest best selves, that we have a right to be that way and to protect ourselves and set ourselves up for that. Instead of like, that it's not all about the doing. Yeah. And I think, um, I love what you just said there because, uh, our sparkly best selves are actually like hard earned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's natural, but. Right. It's who we truly are, but it's also this dedication to, um, complete emotional integrity. Mm-hmm. and authenticity so when emotions arise like being with them not chasing them away or burying them right and so that has its own level of exhaustion and processing and integration that comes with it we were talking about this full moon earlier 
and how I've experienced it as intense and pretty much everyone I've talked to, whether they are quote unquote into the moon or not, is experiencing some level of intensity, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's energetic, whatever. Um, and it's like, I was so glad yesterday that I had a handful of short calls and then I gave myself complete permission to just be however it was that I was feeling, which wasn't particularly great. Um, but it's because of those days that I get to be like, that's just as true about me as my Labrador retriever self and as the joy, the joy is kind of the, you know, obviously it's the underlying truth, but it's, um, it's fostered and it's nourished because yesterday I was back and forth in my journal many times and took multiple naps and cried and, and didn't just force myself to buck up and push through life. Um, just so that I could check off. I don't know what I would have gotten a few emails back to people sooner. Like what? Yeah. And that would be what quote unquote winning. Right. Like I don't, I don't even, I can't even articulate anymore what um, success that would bring supposedly or achievement. <laughs> Wait, that actually reminds me, what's your definition of success? Oh, I don't know. Um, only because I feel like I haven't thought about the word a lot. Um, it's definitely around being as loving and compassionate to myself and others as humanly possible. And then it's also, um, doing what both uh, an Aries sun and my moon is Capricorn. So I've got two like very earthy determined creatures. Um, and that's kind of how I approach my growth and my healing and my expansion and my journey. So I feel like there's an element of success tied in there also of like, when I recognize that there's an area for me to expand into, I pretty much take it head on. And that also brings me a lot of joy on a soul level, even though there's a part of me that also judges like, why, why is my experience of spiritual expansion and healing and all that seems kind of overly intense or dramatic or whatever at times. And I'm like, Oh, right. Cause it's actually makes my soul really happy that I'm willing to just go after this shit and like go right into, um, whatever it is that is demanding my attention. So I feel like that success for me too is, is continuing to stay true to the path of who I really am and how I came here to do this. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's your definition of success? Well, yours is so beautiful. I usually simplify mine to be being authentic and joyful. Mm, I love that. Yeah. You added so many. So part of my human design purpose is not inclined, includes the phrase not inclined to provide details. And I feel like that was a really good example of it. <laughs> Do details drive you nuts? Um, sometimes. Do other Often. people's details drive you nuts? When, so Pete's, my husband's human design includes like all the details Oh, and so he it's it's super helpful sometimes like if i fall asleep during a movie which happens most of the time he i can see the whole thing through his eyes because he will give me the play-by-play -play very specifically mm -hmm. and it's good like i feel all the feels i would feel if i were i don't need to watch it if he leaves during a movie he comes back and he's like what happened i'm like oh i don't really know <laughs> Like I've got nothing. Uh, <laughs> so it only it only drives me nuts and stuff like that when I'm like when somebody's telling me something and I no longer remember the beginning of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like what what was this all about in the first place? I'm probably guilty of that. I haven't no, you're not. <laughs> My tangents in the workshop the other day, I was like, 
Julia's a straightforward one. I'm the circuitous one. Oh, I go off on tangents all the time, and I'm with you on your tangents. If you didn't go off on tangents, I think I'd be kind of lost. <laughs> I need those tangents. I love it. We need to chase some bunnies. So is this also apply to like when you guys are traveling to Switzerland to take care of all the details? Well, my mom is a travel agent. Okay. She takes care of all the details. But um, all right, so more human design. I've got open head and mind. Low, those are the top two centers in the chart. When they're white, that means they're open or undefined. Mm-hmm. So high expression of that is being curious, mm-hmm. loving uncertainty, mm-hmm. and it, an empowered feeling of saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The low expression is being overwhelmed by the details mm-hmm. and overwhelmed by a pressure to feel like you have to have the answer. Mm-hmm. So when somebody loads a bunch of details on me, yeah, I can slip into that low expression. Mm-hmm. And now that I know that, like the, about the high and low expression, I'm like, oh, okay, that overwhelm is just me in the low expression. That means I can choose the high expression. Right. right. I don't know. <laughs> What's your experience with overwhelm been since you've been on your consciousness journey? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, the, so I don't remember, I don't remember what the difference would be, but from, from like before mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, but I feel like now I can see when I'm overwhelmed Mm-hmm. And I can, I can ask for space. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I probably would have just, I don't know. I don't know how I responded to overwhelm before. Probably with a temper tantrum. Yeah. Do you remember being overwhelmed as a kid? That's what I'm trying to think of. Like I'm trying, I'm sure. So my, my mom is a travel agent. Her human design purpose is the right angle cross of planning. Like she is oh, literally so funny. Here. Yeah. She's here to plan other people's lives. Oh my God. So I am certain. She, she removed the overwhelm from you entirely. She was just planning your life. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I totally resist that. Not just because of the mother daughter relationship, but also because I was like too many details. Right. Like, oh, that's too. Crazy. I just want to go deep with people, and you're just telling me all these things that are going to happen in two weeks, and it's not two weeks. So yeah, my my response to overwhelm would just be like a ee, like frustrated little two year old having a temper tantrum. Temper tantrums are good. Mm. I I feel my inner t- two year old come out. Like she, I can picture the temper tantrum in my head. Yeah. I, it does. Or let yourself like go stomp around. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's how I, I release anger and frustration. Yeah. <laughs> how about you? What's your relationship with overwhelm? Oh shit. It's been like a, uh, it was a base note my whole life. And now joy is a base note. Mm, I love that. Where did the overwhelm go? Did joy just push it out? Oh, I'm hearing it's been healed. Um, So I remember as a kid, I think it's a combination of like having the ability to be deluded into thinking that I could be perfect when it came to school and things like that, right? So like things came easily enough that I then always was trying to achieve and do everything and blah, 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 blah. But my mom was so good at handling it. It reminded me when you were talking about manifesting generators and the the modulation of work and play, um, I'd be overwhelmed by the homework I was given. This could be, you could pick any age. She'd have me sit down and write it all down. Like, okay, item one, item two, blah, 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 blah. She'd be like, okay, we're going to start with one. So I do one, maybe I do two. And then she'd be like, okay, go outside and play for half an hour. And then I'd come back and I'd do the next handful of things in flow. And then when she sensed I need a break, like off I would go or, you know, I'd cajole somebody to come out and throw the ball with me or whatever it was. Um, And now I just notice, 
I think part of that too was really being so energetically sensitive and not having any language for it and being in a family. Um, all four of us are highly sensitive people and, and we didn't have, none of us had language for it. So it's kind of like jockeying with a whole bunch of other people who are, <laughs> and the sensitivities are in different directions, right? Like my brother still to this day, uh, like we could be having a conversation in a room and he'll come in and turn out the lights. It's like, they're just too much for him. Like all the lights though, you know, like we're sitting here like talking. Um, <laughs> so I think there was some of that too, that caused the overwhelm was just like feeling so much energy and being in a house of people who are all feeling so much energy and they're all trying to navigate it without consciousness. Um, and now it's just like, I can recognize to your point, I recognize when overwhelm hits and I'm just, I'm so much better at uh, nipping at the bud before it even happens. Like, oh, I've been really working a lot these last few days because to your point of generators, like when I get into the rhythm of working, I have to actually go like put myself to bed, even at four in the afternoon, whatever it is. Like I have to be like, it's not even a meditation would suffice. It's like, Tina, you have to put yourself to sleep because the brain gets so like, yeah, and there's so many things coming through and I could do all the things. And um, I think that might be part of why in human design, it's like, oh, you're just an engine you don't need rest. And it's like, well, cause just cause you're capable of working at that pace doesn't mean that it's gonna serve your body and your being and your emotions and everything else. Um, so yeah, now I feel like I experience overwhelm way less often because I'm like very aware of like, okay, I've had a busy week that I'm only planning to see, you know, one person all weekend. Mm -hmm. um, and also like I live by myself. So it's, that's also kind of a built-in um, heaven for an introvert, right? Yeah. It's interesting. Do you define yourself as an introvert? I do based upon the definition of how you recharge your, your batteries. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel particularly awkward in social situations or really loathe it. Although I do loathe small talk, but part of it is like, I am pretty ballsy about making sure it's not small talk for long. Yeah. I don't do small talk either. <laughs> um, yeah. And I love reading that just feels like an introvert thing. It's interesting because I would define myself as an ambivert. I am officially an ENFP, which is like an ambivert. Mm -hmm. um, I love it. I get so jazzed up if I'm with the, the right people. Yes. Like I'm so energized by that. And after like after a solid like three days or something, mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah. A little time off, a little less peopling. But it's not, it's more I need a break from the structure. Mm. No, I'll, I will completely rebel against, like, don't put anything else on my schedule. Like, no more telling me where I have to be at a specific time. I need mm -hmm. at least a day free from yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that resonates. And I do, I, I love being around people who are soul people, you know, like they're your soul, your soul crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know that I could choose between aloneness and that, right? Like those two fill, fill my yeah. cup significantly. Um, but navigating the rest of external life outside of the home, <laughs> especially living in a city. I live in Chicago now. It's like, there's always, um, you know, the sound of sirens and there's kind of chaos everywhere and you're having to be a little bit more alert in an urban environment. Um, those things are just taxing also on the highly sensitive nervous system. Yeah, that's a lot for me. Mm -hmm. I, I need my nature fix. I need my space, my yeah. spaciousness. And not like Montana sky spaciousness mm -hmm. necessarily, but like after I was in New York City for an event in January, it's like four days in New York City. 
And I just after got back and was like, space. Mm-hmm. Just don't get so close to me. I don't want to see that many cars. I don't want to go around loud noises. Just yeah. Space. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm with you. I think it's about time you tell people what you mentioned, Julie. Oh, Let's explain that she's your business partner. What do yeah. you guys do? So we have an organization we call core element and we co-create conscious culture in the workplace. So, um, right now, what seems to have emerged as our target market. And I love this cause it's kind of like the universe attracted this to us. We didn't necessarily pick this per se, but we're finding a lot of excitement in organizations that, um, have already disrupted an industry or, you know, are aiming to disrupt and, um, they're growing out of their startup mentality. So maybe they have 25 to 50 employees would be a sweet spot. Um, some organizations that have more than that, but haven't done anything intentionally about their culture really need it. They're the ones who actually see. So it's like, were you able to see at the point in time that you hit 25 to 50 people that the way of doing things as a startup, everybody has access to the founder, all that kind of stuff. The founder maybe is doing all the interviews or whatever, like that dramatically changes once you're an organization where there's levels of leadership. And um, if you don't intentionally create a culture, uh, then a culture is created anyway. Um, And it's funny because we're about to attend a conference called PerksCon, and it's about choosing employee perks. So all the HR people come and the people who have the booths are people who offer perks. And so we're bringing a booth a little bit like Rogue because we're, you know, the strategy behind your perks, right? But so many organizations still talk about culture as if it's synonymous with whether or not they have a ping pong table or yoga classes or flexible work uh, from home days or something. And um, to us, culture is so much deeper, of course, than I say, of course, but like from a consciousness perspective, you know, for most of your listeners, it's going to be, of course. Um, And one of the things that's really inspired us and that we're using quite a bit of, in addition to our coaching training, has been uh, the conscious capitalism movement. And that's all around um, conscious leadership, having a purpose, having stakeholder orientation, and also understanding that when your business goes after both purpose and profit, um, that there's actually much more gains to be had on both ends of that. You don't, a lot of the scarcity mindset, we talked about scarcity earlier, um, tells people that you have to choose. So if you have a purpose that it's going to cost you a certain amount more money and you're going to get X amount of less business or whatever, and organizations left, right, and center are now proving the exact opposite is true. And one of the things that's quite funny to me, not funny, haha, but more funny, like ironic is, uh, but not ironic at all. It's like, of course. Um, is there's so much talk about millennials and what are they asking for in the workplace and they don't have the same amount of loyalty, this, that, and the other thing. And Julie, in my perspective, is that the millennials are actually built upon their parents' dreams and their parents were built upon the Depression era parents' dreams. So in the Depression, you didn't have stability and you didn't have the ability to just know that you could pay your rent or your mortgage and feed your family. It was all a question mark. So the next generation ended up with these jobs that were kind of for life and pensions and this ultimate loyalty in both directions and stability. And so then, of course, their children are going to be saying, okay, we grew up with like a ton of stability. What's the next level of expansion? Now, of course, whether or not this is a conscious thought or whether it's just the natural evolution of, you know, humanity. um, So the millennials are saying, well, we want to have purpose at work. We want to know why we're doing what we're doing for whom we're doing it, right? And um, so when you bring that conscious to an organization, you bring values forward, you understand like one of the things that we've seen is really great purpose out into the world externally, but then um, internally, it's kind of a mess. There's still the burnout, there's still the stress, there's still this like, the, the chronic um, fire drills and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like a coach 
not doing their own internal personal work and putting themselves out into the world as a coach. And sure, you could market yourself well, and you could put on the shiny bells and whistles on, but as soon as people really start to interact with you, they're going to see that your level of consciousness is not expanded to the place of what you're selling, right? So it's kind of like a scarecrow or like a, it's not going to, it's not going to stay. Um, and so we believe the same thing to be true about business, that if you're out in the world and you're saying, you know, we want to make this kind of an impact or we're giving back in this kind of way, or we have this mission to change this thing, that has to be apparent from every interaction within the company. And then that's going to naturally play out and allow you to have really exponential growth. One of the organizations that's really inspiring me right now, I'm reading the book called Delivering Happiness, and it's written by the Zappos CEO. And he came to all of this on his own um, through the first company that he led. He ended up leaving after Microsoft bought them because the culture had become so awful he didn't want to be there. <laughs> and so then when he was a part of Zappos, like, so he had that experience he, to realize, but then like he said it was a number of years before they even chose values. And it wasn't until he started to realize that other people were making hiring decisions that he wouldn't make. And how can you empower someone to make good hiring decisions? oh, well, if you're aligned to the same set of values, then you kind of have a true north, right? Um, so this stuff is really exciting to us. And um, we think, you know, there's, it's getting a lot of press right now, but it's still like early in the movement. There's still not a ton of companies that you can specifically point to. There are plenty. So we, there's plenty of statistics about it. Um, conscious capitalist companies beat the market by um, 15 times over a 10-year period. Um, and the market's set up for these companies to struggle a bit, hence um, why Whole Foods was bought by Amazon, because um, the journey of consciousness is literally spiral. The front of the book is like a, it's a spiral arrow going up, um, as we well know from, you know, you and I could be in a moment of glory, and then the next moment we're on the struggle bus, and then we're back to an even higher high than we were before, right? Because we got rid of that low energy. And same is, through with, same is true with organizations. Um, so it's, it's a long-term orientation, and that long-term is around um, really great employee relationships, really great customer relationships, really great relationship with your community and with the environment as a whole. And that's what's truly sustainable and is, is going to build you uh, business over time. So that was a lot of details for you. I think it was perfect. <laughs> How can people hire you? So our website is coreelementpartners.com and it's just spelled C-O-R and then element. Um, and, or feel free to reach out to me on email, Tina at coreelementpartners.com. And we love to just have conversations with people. And one of the things Julie and I talk about a ton is we're not selling by force by any means. It's like a totally open invitation and we have nothing attached because when you have this perspective of the universe back to our very first part of our conversation is giving dribbles everywhere to everyone, then we know that the people we're meant to work with, um, are going to find us. And that is epic trust. It is. It is. And it's over and over again. And, you know, there is something about working with a partner that makes that epic trust that much easier. Mm -hmm. trusting somebody. Um, and so there's, it's a lot less frequent that I have like, am I crazy to trust this about work that I have about some other aspects of my life potentially? I have one last question for you, Tina. Okay. You had a billboard. Whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Live heart free. Mm. What does that mean? Um, I feel like my heart got caged inadvertently through taking on the external conditioning the shoulds, the way that I saw other people doing things. Um, and when things transpired in my life and I had experiences that caused my heart and my soul to leap and just say, holy hell yes, um, those things were so different from what um, the conditioning 
and the shoulds and the brain and the, the logic had said. And um, even though I've had those experiences and I continue to have them frequently, I also find that keeping my heart just completely open and trusting it entirely is still like an everyday practice. It's just like mindfulness is mm-hmm. is a constant, well, constant and consistent practice mm-hmm. of like lassoing yourself back to present. Mm-hmm. So lassoing your heart, like I guess reminding your heart it's okay. Yeah, it's safe. I got you. Yeah, you get to drive. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I always say that my heart is driving. My soul is the navigator riding shotgun and choosing the tunes. And um, all other aspects of me are welcome to be in the car, but they are in the backseat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love you. And I love your analogies. I love you too. And I love your analogies. <laughs> Thank you so much for making this with me. You're welcome. Thank you for um, how fun it is to have co-created this with no plan. No plan. My favorite part was, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just living into the empowered. I don't know. It's my favorite <laughs> place to be. To love be it. curious. Love it. Love it. It's the best. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.